It's beginning to look a lot like Christmas Everywhere you go Take a look in the five and ten Glistening once again With candy canes and silver lanes aglow Sure it's Christmas Once more Well hello and welcome my name is Alan Biggers. I'm the Executive Director of Programming here at Life Church. I want to take just a moment to welcome those that are on our online campuses and at Appleton this morning. Also want to welcome everybody here at Germantown. Um, I'm just excited to have the opportunity to launch this new series. But before we go there, how about those Green Bay Packers Thursday night? I mean, I was, I was getting on an airplane in Atlanta heading to Milwaukee, and, uh, and it was a getting close to like the third quarter around there and uh, getting on the airplane you wouldn't have guessed that there's a ton of Green Bay Packers on that airplane uh, but as we start to land in Milwaukee and people's cell service starts to kick on on their phones all of a sudden there was a murmur that then turned into almost like a very loud clamoring by the time the wheels hit the pavement you could tell pretty much every single person on that plane was a Green Bay Packer fan and so uh, it has nothing to do with my sermon this morning I just like a really good turnaround and I'm not necessarily a diehard Green Bay fan but but again I, I love a good game so uh, so go pack go right all right so anyway um we are, uh, we're launching this new series. It is, uh, it's Christmas Traditions, and, uh, and I'm excited about it. I, I love the Christmas season. I mean, I absolutely love Christmas times. I'm one of those guys that just, there's something about the lights, the trees, just the festivities, everything that's happening around Christmas. It's just, it's, it's electric. You can feel it in the air and everything that's going on. And, uh, and I, I just love that time. I mean, we're even those people that like, the week before Thanksgiving, we're the ones that had our lights up on our house, okay? Don't judge me, all right? I just, I love Christmas, okay? And so, so I'm honored once again, and I'm excited to be here this morning, launching this new series on traditions. And uh, they've given, Pastor Aaron has given me the opportunity to launch it with this first tradition called Advent. And we're going to talk about Advent today and what that means. And some of you in here probably grew up celebrating Advent, and you probably know that last week... We started Advent, or the Advent season was last week. And so those of you that maybe didn't grow up celebrating Advent, there's a couple things that you might want to know. Advent simply means arrival. And it's a time in which we celebrate both the arrival of Christ's birth 2,000 years ago and the arrival that is yet to come that we're waiting for Christ to return. And it's a season in which, in, in, in standard Catholic and Lutheran traditions and some other traditions, uh, you go through and you understand that there's this lighting of candles that happen that signify different parts of this whole Advent season of waiting. There's, there's a, a devotion that you walk through. It's really actually a really cool tradition if you dive into it and get to know it. In fact, my family has is, is even adopted a semi sort of Advent flair in which every single day leading up into Christmas, we have a little pouch in our house and we pull out a little card and on that card it says for one thing for us to do together as a family. And the whole purpose of that getting ready and doing those little Advent cards, and some of you guys probably remember little Advent calendars with little chocolates in them and that sort of thing. And, and there's, this, there's this anticipation and this excitement moving towards this Christmas season and this Advent season. And with all of that anticipation and all that excitement comes a whole lot of stress. 
If we're honest, it doesn't matter if you're anticipating something really great or, or anticipating something that, that maybe is not so great, that Advent and the season for waiting causes stress in our lives. Advent is a season that forces us to come face to face with the very personal struggle of waiting. Can anybody say amen? Okay. You know, th- there's, this is a season where most of us are happy and exciting. And, and you see the excitement, you see the, the lights, you see the trees, you see people bustling around, you see people singing Christmas songs and cri- hear Christmas songs that are very joyous. But for some people, this season is not a very joyous season. In fact, for you, you might be sitting in this place going, you know, I'm, I'm awaiting things that are not good things. I'm going through a struggle right now. And what happens is you see all this and you, you compare your life to theirs and you say, you know what, my life is supposed to be very joyous because I see joy all around and my waiting is not a good season of waiting and so it causes more stress and frustration in us. But the, the, the stress related to waiting is not always just because of bad things. I remember as a kid waiting for Christmas Day to come. And you're waiting and it's like midnight and you're trying to go to sleep and you're staring at the ceiling and you're just going, go to sleep, go to sleep go to sleep, go to sleep, (laughs) and you just can't go to sleep because your little heart's pitter-pattering and you're just waiting because you want to get up in the morning, you want to see the presents and you want to open them and get get connected with family and and the good food that's about to happen that day. There's this anticipation. I even remember at camp, like I loved summer camp as a kid, and I loved going to camp, and I remember packing like two days before, and the night before summer camp, I could not go to sleep. I was just sitting waiting, and it would be like 2 o'clock in the morning, 3 o'clock in the morning. We're supposed to leave at 6 o'clock in the morning, and I still can't go to sleep, and I'm just so excited about camp. And the next day, I'm an absolute zombie. They're like, what's wrong with you? I was like, I'm ready for camp, okay? <laughs> because, because we're so excited and waiting for this moment and this anticipation, whether we like it or not, for good or for bad, can cause stress in our life. So the question I'm, I'm asking you in, in the midst of your holiday season, in the midst of this Advent season, is what Advent are you waiting for? If Advent means arrival, what is it that are you waiting to arrive? Most of us in here are waiting for something. It's either a solution, maybe it's a relationship. Maybe it's a relationship to turn around. You're waiting for something to go right when something's been going wrong for so long. Maybe it's a diagnosis that you've been waiting on for some time. Maybe there's just a problem that you need solving. Maybe, maybe it's in your business and you need a deal to go through and you're waiting for that to happen. Maybe you just need a breakthrough and you're saying, God, where are you? I'm here to tell you that in your Advent season, in your waiting, God wants to reveal something very important. He wants to reveal to you that he is Emmanuel. God with us. Even in the dark waiting, even in the broken moments, even in the times where we're sitting here going, God, why am I having to wait so long? God is saying, I'm here for you. So what are you waiting for? Here's the two questions I want you to ponder today. What are you waiting for? And what are you doing in the waiting? Let's pray. Our, let's bow our heads in prayer real quick. Father, I just thank you for this opportunity this morning. And God, I pray that these words would not be my own, but they would be yours, Lord, that you would anoint what is being heard from Scripture this morning. God, I pray that our ears would be open to you and your spirit. And we, we would completely understand what word that you have for us today. Lord, 
unpack our hearts and let us be real before you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you would turn your scriptures to Luke chapter 2, verses 1 through 14. We're going to take a look at God's perspective of this waiting season and what we're doing in the waiting. It says this, In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria. And everyone went to their own town to register. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea, to Bethlehem, the town of David. Because he belonged to the house and the line of David, he went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born. And she gave birth to her firstborn son. She wrapped him in clothes, placed him in a manger, because there was no room available for them. And there were shepherds living in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. And they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths, lying in a manger. Suddenly a great company of heavenly hosts appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace to those whom his favor rests. It's such a beautiful scripture, and we've heard it year after year in this Christmas season but there's some things, if we, don't get, if, if we get caught up in just the, the enchantment of it, we miss some crucial ingredients that, that are in this scripture. I love the fact that anytime you look at scripture, there's some sort of contextual meaning and understanding that's found in scripture. If you really get into God's word, it's one of the most exciting and just, just engaging books that you could ever read. Because there's so much depth to what's being said. You see, the author of this scripture places in the scripture, in the very first sentence, a timestamp to give us so much background to what's going on. He says this right here. There, in those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree. See, this lets us know what's happening in the world around us while Christ is coming to earth. It lets us know that Caesar Augustus is in charge. He is the emperor over Rome. And you see, knowing that puts that timestamp on it to where we know that it's been 400 years since the accounts that have been heard and read through the prophets in Malachi. So if you understand this, the Jews have been waiting for 400 years for this moment. 400 years. No prophets have spoken out. Nobody has said anything new. A voice from God has not been spoken to his people in 400 years. And since then, they've been waiting for the Messiah to arrive. Man, this is a dark season for God's people. Not only that, they're born during a time where the Jews had long been awaiting this, this Messiah. But, but Caesar is in charge. Caesar Augustus. You see, Caesar Augustus ruled with this false sense of, of peace. It was called Pax Romana. And in fact, it, it was claimed to be peace, but really it was anything but peaceful. 
Anybody that opposed Caesar would be killed. In fact, they used, to, they used to crucify animals and people and just hang them up on the streets just to put fear and intimidation in people so that they would live in, in, in subjugation to his rule. You see, you have to understand that this was not a peaceful place. And in fact, we're sitting here waiting for 400 years, and at the end of this 400-year period, you're in this moment where you're waiting for your Messiah, your sa- Savior, to to come and redeem you from this brokenness. But it's this heavy, intense waiting period because there's an emperor in charge that's anything but loving, anything but a savior for the people. In fact, historian Ethelberg Stauffer says this, the entire empire was resounding with the sound of the advent proclamation, Caesar is Lord. Put yourself in the Jewish perspective just for a moment. You're standing here in an empire and they are... They're chanting and cheering, Caesar is Lord. You know, because of all of your teachings and because what your parents brought you up in, that there is only one God. Yet for 400 years, that God's been silent. And you're standing here and everything around you is pointing to God has abandoned me. You know, even in this, the imperial reign, the way they did things, and and sorry, I got a picture of Caesar. I don't know if it got popped up there or not. Um, so I'm not sure what's going on with the Cabbage Patch Kid hanging off his robes here. But. So this is Caesar and all of his, his pomp and all of his circumstances running around just kind of claiming peace and, and all of that. But, but the way Caesar led was this kind of overbearing leader. But he, the way you run an empire is that you lead a king, you assign a king over a people, let him rule his people, and you rule that king. And so he decided he was going to take a man who is half Jewish and half Edomite, and he was going to make him king. You and I know this individual as Herod. Now, Herod was not a good king. And if anybody that was Jewish was standing here, they didn't get to vote who their king was. In fact, Herod didn't even really like the Jews. In fact, Herod killed thousands upon thousands of Jews. So, so this wasn't, again, not a situation where Jews are like, here is the Messiah. Herod is going to be the one to redeem us. No, Herod was Caesar's puppet. In fact, if you look into Scripture and you really look who Herod was, he built this place called Masada, okay? And, and it was this palace. It was one of many palaces. This is Masada right here on the hills. And basically, this is like his winter palace, this huge palace. He had hot tubs there. He had like uh, pools. I mean, it was just, it was amazing what they were able to accomplish. But he had his people build this huge palace. And the interesting thing about this, it's built in the hills that are rumored to be the same hills that King David was hiding in from Saul. So Herod, their king, stood before them and in an effort of just this, this arrogance comes before and says, the greatest king that you ever knew hid in fear in these hills and I will live in luxury. You see, Herod did not care for his people. He was half Jewish and half Edomite. And so what he also decided, a different palace that he built, he wanted to build a palace on a mountain that stood in between Edom and Jerusalem. But there was a problem. There was no mountains. It's a desert between there. So we had the Jewish people, stone by stone, build this. Build a huge mountain called Herodium. And this was his palace that they built stone by stone, piece by piece, so that he could have a palace that overlooked Jerusalem and Edom. I'm telling you, this guy was not a good guy. 
And on top of that, he was taxing people at 90%. Let that sink in for just a minute. 90%. Imagine the government decides to take 90% of your wages and you're left with 10%. Yeah, you think the church is rough for asking for 10%. 90%. 90% of, of your wages go to the government. You see, in the midst of all of this, the Jewish people feel so oppressed. They feel so broken. In fact, some of them are having to sell their vineyards and their farms just simply to survive and putting themselves into this indentured servitude towards the imperial reign. This is a time that's broken. This is a time that is hurting. These are a people that don't understand that the darkness is all around them and they don't understand, but, but it's easy to over un, overlook the darkness of Christ's birth because for you and I, we flip a page and it goes from Old Testament to New Testament. It goes from the prophecies of what should be to the fulfillment that's in Christ. But there's hope in the midst of all this because in the midst of all of our waiting, regardless of what you and I are waiting for, God has a plan. That in the midst of our darkest hour, regardless of what we think things are, God is still there. He is still Emmanuel. He's still God with us. You see, God has a plan. Galatians 4, 5, 4 through 5 says this, But when the time set forth had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman under the law, to redeem those under the law that we might receive adoption to sonship. You see, we find hope in knowing that God knows what's go going on in our world. He knows the deal that you're waiting to happen. He knows the relationship that you need in your life. He knows the breakthrough that you're waiting for. He knows the problems that you're facing. And he says, I'm with you. I have not abandoned you. So what can we do in the waiting? In fact, what is it that we're waiting on? Let's come to grips with that right here and right now. And let's ask the hard question, what do we do in the waiting? What do we do with, with all this knowledge that God is with us? There's some active steps that you and I can take. And number one is this, make the journey in the waiting. Make the journey in the waiting. You have to understand, Mary and Joseph, they're in this period where they're broken and they're, they're, they're struggling, and God comes to them and tells them, you're going to have a baby. And in, in the ninth month, she decides, or, or God, sorry, Caesar decides that he's going to issue a decree that they need to go back to their, their home, their place of Joseph's birth. And so you go back and you look at this, and you look at the distance they traveled, and they had to travel three to four days to get there. Now, I don't know about you, but any ladies in the room can attest that when you're nine months pregnant, any sort of three to four day journey is not going to be a delightful one. So they had to do this, but they had to take the steps if they wanted to, to experience the advent. They had to go and fulfill the prophecy that God had for them. Faith without works is dead. We will never experience the advent if we sit back and wallow in our circumstances. You see, we sit back many times and we're looking at our circumstances like, man, why is this happening? Why is this going on? And, and we look at other people who aren't even Christians and we go, why are they succeeding and I'm struggling right now? And I would dare to say that they're probably doing some things that God asks us to do in Scripture. Now, this is a hard word for some of us to hear, but, but just because 
we're Christians doesn't mean we're always going to get it right. In fact, God has placed some laws and rules into this universe that say, if you do this, then this will happen. And I would dare say that there are people out there, and it's not always the case, that, that even though they don't believe God, they're doing some things that line up with his promises. And they're reaping the benefits because of it. And I would dare say that for some of us in this room, that we're sitting here frustrated that we don't have something or, or not experiencing something, but we haven't taken the active steps to experience what God wants us to experience. You even look at the Magi and them coming. They, they weren't believers, but yet they still came and experienced God's presence. We have to understand that God is with us, and we, but we have to make those active steps. That we can't sit back, but we have to do something in the waiting. That if, if we're going to, to experience Advent, that we have to make the journey. Number two, we've got to do this. We've got to live the word in the waiting. Live the word in the waiting. Pastor says it all the time. We have to lean so hard, so hard on the gospel that if it were to move, that we would fall. That we've got to truly not just, not just hear God's word, but we have to do what God's word says. Knowing the truth and living the truth are two different things. We, we tend to feel like we're going through this stressful situation and we're doing some, some right things, but we, we, a lot of times we lean too much on our religious systems to give us kind of a, an out in some of those circumstances. I know I'm stepping on some toes tonight. In fact, I, I'm, I've even, I'm stepping on my own toes because there's times, even in my own life, that I've leaned too hard on what I believe is right and wrong versus really leaning into Scripture and doing what God has called me to do. Let me explain. In Scripture, we find the situation where you have these, these magi, these wise men, that come three months out. They take this journey. Scripture says that they land in Jerusalem, this, this seat in the center of cultural and, and religious studies. And they go to the Pharisees, or the, the Pharisees, and they ask them, and they say, what is this prophecy that you have about this Messiah that's coming? We've seen a star, and we're following the star. And the, and the, and the, 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 the men and women that are there, the men and the, the sorry, uh, the Pharisees, jeez. The Pharisees step forward and they say, well, well, here's the deal. Prophecies say that you just need to go three hours down the road. It's in Bethlehem. Okay, I looked it up online at Google Maps, okay? And literally, it's a three to four hour walk, okay? I'm not talking chariots. I'm not talking cars. It's three to four hour walk from Jerusalem to Bethlehem. The Magi walk for three months. Now, what's interesting about that? The Pharisees who knew the prophecies we don't see any record in Scripture about them showing up at Christ's birth. But we see individuals who don't even believe in God showing up there. I feel like sometimes the Pharisees in this moment, they, they knew what the prophecies were, but they were so consumed by their frustration that the Messiah had not arrived, the 400 years of science, uh, silence, that they began to build these systems of law and rule to over overshadow their lack of faith. And I feel like you and I sometimes can compensate our, our, our inability to, to put the word into action by showing up on a Sunday morning and being able to check mark that on a box. Or saying, you know what, I'm saved, so I'm good. 
But God is asking us to take the word, take what he said to us, and put it into action. To not just be hearers of the word, but to be doers as well. I heard a pastor once preach, and he said, you know what? I find it funny that, that sometimes we don't get this concept very well. If I were to go to my daughter and tell her I need you to clean the room, and she were to turn around and, and get all of her friends together and say, Dad said clean the room. So let's look at that and really to pick it apart and figure out what does he mean by clean. Let's look at the Greek word of clean. What does it mean to really get this stuff clean? And how can I be somebody who's, who's a better cleaner, okay? What can I do in my life to make myself really good at cleaning? No, no, I'd be frustrated with my daughter and I'd say, no, get in your room, pick up the toys, and put them on the shelf, okay? That's how you clean your room. Yet, you and I do the same thing many times in the church. We, we take God's word and we try to, to complicate it by, by dividing it up and trying to figure out what we can do and just really make it. No, he says, go and make disciples. Go, just be, be honest and give a reason for the hope in which you have. That's our testimony. You see, so many times we complicate things because of the season that we're in and we, we try to layer on these layers of, of do's and don'ts and, and trying to figure out what righteousness that we have and our own personal righteousness tends to overshadow our ability to see the advent come you see i, I know i know I'm, I'm preaching hard this 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 morning but i just want you to hear god is with you in this moment and we've got to live the word but when you've done all you can do and you begin to take these steps and you've said okay i'm active and i'm doing some things that God has promised me to do. And, and more than just actively taking the steps, I've, I've read his word. I've taken the time to get into his word and digest it and say, okay, let me not just hear it, but let me put these things that I'm hearing into action. When you've done all of this, there's only one thing left to do in the waiting, and that's this. We have to trust God in the waiting. Trust God in the waiting. And this is what we struggle with most, I would say most of us struggle with, is this trusting factor. Psalms 46.10 says this, Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. See, God, God's already got this plan worked out. And regardless of how frustrating things are and our circumstances not being what we desire them to be, God wants to reveal himself. He wants to be Emmanuel, God with us in this circumstance. Sometimes God's plan doesn't match up the, with, with the way we see things, though. I look at, at Joseph in this whole scenario, okay? He's standing here. He's questioning God just like everybody else. God, when are you going to show up? You haven't shown up in, after generation after generation after generation. Nobody has seen you, and, and I'm wondering where you are. And, and now you've said that, that my fiancé is going to bring your son into the world. Do you realize what people are going to think about me and about this whole scenario? And he, then you fast forward, and he gets... Someone knocks on his door and hands him a piece of paper and he opens it up and it says, Hey, Joseph, you've got to go to your birth home, take your passports and get them stamped. Okay? She's nine months pregnant. I don't care. This is what the Roman decree is. Thank you, Joseph. Have a nice day. Seriously, he'd go into his room and go, God, do you, do you realize what's going on here? She's about to give birth. You want us to go to Bethlehem? And so my prayer, Lord, is just please don't let her have this baby on the road. So they walk, and they get to Bethlehem, and they show up, and what happens? Everybody and their mom is in Bethlehem, okay? And he goes around knocking on doors trying to find a place where his pregnant wife can give birth, and he finds nothing. 
I mean, that's got to be pretty packed. And so he finds himself making his way over to a place where animals are kept. She has the has the baby in a, an area where animals are kept and, and lays the baby in a food, food trough where animals eat and covers the baby in, in cloths that are used to wipe down animals. Can you see Joseph in this moment going, God, seriously, is this your plan A? This is the, this is the Messiah plan, okay? This is salvation plan. Are you serious? You see how God's scripts things many times is way different than the way we script them. But, but the beauty of the story when we look at this through God's perspective is he sent his son to earth in the lowliest of places to say it doesn't matter if you're a king or a pauper that I have come to be with you and God is with you regardless of what state you are in, regardless of how silent you feel like I am, I'm here with you in your season. Regardless of what you're waiting for, regardless of what the advent to come is, I am with you. See, God is speaking to us even in this moment. And God uses his frustrating, painful story to speak his story clearer than you and I could ever even begin to script. And I'm here to tell you that God wants to make your story his story. He wants to take what frustrations and what stresses, what you're waiting on, and turn it into something beautiful. I love, I love Psalms 23, and you look at it. What does it say? It says, Yea, though I walk through the valley of shadow of death, I will not fear because my God is going to stop me. He's going to turn me around and say, what are you doing? That's a death valley. It'll hurt you. I'm, I'm so glad I caught you before you walk through that valley. No, that's not what scripture says at all. It says, yea, though I walk through the valley of shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For my God is with me and he will comfort me, thy rod and thy staff. You see, God doesn't say he's going to keep us out of the valley. He says he's going to take us and walk us through the valley. It doesn't matter what you're waiting for. It doesn't matter what you're going through. What matters is God is with you through that scenario. And he's going to take your story and make it something that you could never even begin to imagine. But you've got to act on it. You've got to put your faith and your trust and you've got to to activate his word in your life and you've got to trust in him. You see, God desires to do something great but none of us can make it happen and there will be moments that you're going to go through that are going to be stressful, that are going to be painful. I love C.S. Lewis's quote, he says this, pain insists on being attended to. God whispers to us in our pleasures, he speaks to us in our conscience but he shouts to us in our pains. It is his megaphone to rouse a deaf world. Now, I don't think God is forcing pain on you, and he doesn't want to hurt us. In fact, Scripture says that he desires to do good things for us, just like a father would give good gifts to his kids. But I will say that those painful moments, God will use those to sharpen us and strengthen us into something that we don't even think that we can become. You know, I believe, if we're honest, this morning, when we take a look at the painful moments, we can actually find joy in them. We need to thank God for Caesar's decree. When everything looked hopeless, when Caesar was saying something that causes more pain and frustration for Joseph and Mary, we look back at the story and we say, thank God, because it was his decree, it was a, the decree of someone who was saved that caused some, the chain of events to happen, that the prophecy was fulfilled, that the Messiah was born in Bethlehem. I look at that and I say, you know what? God, in the midst of my brokenness, I just want to thank you 
for what I'm going through because I know that at the end of all things, this is not what it's about. This life is not what it's about, that we are living for something different. And what we view as a setback can be God's way of bringing people to him. Now, we look at that, and again, we look at our scenarios right now, and you're like, well, why is my life so messed up compared to everybody else? Let me just tell you that this Advent season and Christmas time, people's Facebook pictures do not accurately depict what's happening in their family, okay? Just going to be honest with you. What I put on Facebook are not the 75 photos that went wrong. They're the one that got right, okay? I remember a, a photo session that I took with me and my wife and my two kids, and, um, and we're sitting here taking pictures, and, and I've got my daughter, Addie, and we try to do this really trendy thing where I've got, like, her hanging in, like, a blanket and all this stuff, and sure enough, the blanket slips, and my daughter falls on her head in the middle of the, 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 the thing, and she, she was, like, three or four, okay, she wasn't an infant, all right, she's not brain damaged, but, so, she falls, and there's, like, this outburst of crying. We've got the photographer there. He's like, it's okay. And like, I, for, we were, like, trying to redeem it for the rest of them, but we, like, got pictures of, ah, ah, eh, okay, all over the place. Just, like, miserable photo shoot, and I'm just sitting here going, God, if you can get one of these pictures that look good, that's great. And so a week goes by, two weeks goes by, the f- photographer gets us the pictures back, and we're all like, Okay, looking all happy and our daughter's all cuddled up with us and it looks like the picture perfect sort of scenario and she did wonders. I don't know if it was Photoshop and she took 17 different pictures and put them together, but she got something that looked really great and we posted them and if you go online and look at our family profile, you'll see pictures that look great, but I promise you and there are moments where I'm like, God, where are you in this chaos? Yet if we look back at it, we see God's hand in the midst of it. We see a loving family who care for one another, even if we're dropping each other on heads and stuff like that. So, um, I just completely derailed my sermon. But the, the, the truth is, we can get frustrated with the life around us. We can get frustrated by comparing our life to somebody else. Or we can say, God, in the middle of this waiting, I'm going to let you be the Lord of my advent. I'm going to let you handle my circumstances that I don't understand and the things that I'm waiting for that have not yet come. Life, this life is not the final goal, and we need to remember that Christ, as much as we've been waiting, Christ is waiting for us as well. That he waited for the perfect moment to show up on earth. And then, he waited 30 years before he activated his ministry. And then, he waited his whole life knowing what was going to happen at the end of his life. And now, he waits for you and me. And he's waiting to return. And I'm here to tell you that there's so much hope in knowing that the struggles of this life will not compare to the glory that's going to be seen in that one. Regardless of what you're going through, God is with you in your advent. He's with you in your waiting. So in conclusion, whatever you're waiting on, in this waiting, remember that God is Emmanuel. He's God with us. Here in just a few moments, we're going to ask the prayer partners to come forward, and they're going to be down here in this altar. And You know, if you're you're in a position where you, you maybe don't know this man named Jesus Christ that I'm talking about, I would just encourage you to come talk to them, and they would love to introduce you to this God who desires to be with you during your waiting, who wants to show you his love, who died on the cross so that you may have hope and life and life eternal. 
But maybe you're already a Christian and maybe you're here and you also need to pray with somebody. They're, they're going to be down here to pray with you as well. Maybe you're, you're in a position where you, you need the strength to get up and start making some steps because this time of waiting has zapped the energy out of you. And you've given up hope and you say, you know what, I, I'm only three days or three hours away from being at that Advent, but I just really don't even feel like going there because I don't believe. I've been told so many times that the Messiah is coming, the Messiah is coming. There's no way that it's coming in Bethlehem. Maybe you've been in this moment where you're frustrated and you're saying, you know what, I just can't make it. If you need somebody to pray with you to say, you know what, give me the strength, God, to keep walking in this season. Or maybe you're in a place where you just need some dedication. You, you need to get back in God's word and you've been dry for some time. That activating God's word is not even possible because you're, you're not even feasting on his word daily. You need that dedication. You need to ask God to give you that determination. Or maybe you're in a season right now where you're saying, you know what, God, I just, I just need to trust in you. I, I know your word. I know it's true. And I'm trying to do everything I can. And, and I've acted upon things and I've done everything I know to do, but I'm still in the season of waiting. And I'm here to tell you, it's not always about you. That this world is not always about you. And, and perhaps God has you waiting so that you can be a hope to somebody else that's looking at your life. And he wants you just to trust in him in this waiting season. Maybe you just need somebody to agree with you in that and say, you know what, I just need somebody to pray with me right now because I have this burden that I can't carry and I've got to trust in him to carry it for me. Regardless of what you're going through, regardless of what you're experiencing, again, I want you to ask God to be the Lord of your advent.